So I want you to have an opportunity to share, um, I guess, the Mazer mantra and also warning with respect to executives and how they could or could not be using AI as part of their job search, specifically cover letters, specifically resumes, specifically other things that may feel like they're going to break their arm patting themselves on the back, but could backfire for several reasons, ethics, um, things around just copying a copy is a copy is a copy. And so I really want to hear from you some do's and don'ts. Yeah, absolutely. So I would say, first of all, um, your cover letter is your opportunity to use your voice, right? Like to, to, for people to be able to see you. So that is probably the last place that I'm going to use AI, right? But I might use it to help me prepare for that moment. The idea of job security is outdated as a landline. If you haven't been in a search for a while, it's probable you will at some point, by choice or not. Most executives admit to staying way too long or sense what's coming and justify staying anyway. Here, there's another reason. The faulty belief that navigating to what's next will inevitably be worse and has to suck. Screw that. Lauren Greif has spent a lifetime in corporate and executive search, calling bullshit on stale career advice that most still use. This is Career Blast in a Half, the career podcast for executives ready to cut past outdated career advice to fuel your outcomes now. So let's go. I bet you didn't think that I was going to bring in this AI expert, but I had to. And there is no one else that I'm so excited to bring to the podcast today to talk about AI and executives. Because Lori Mazer, I mean, like this isn't just a new thing for her. Her evolution, not just through AI, but technology, architecture, and teaching is literally baked into her. D-N-A-A-I. So you go figure that out. Lori Mazer, thank you for being just such a wonderful thought leader and also joining us today as we encroach on this area of AI that just, like, I want to say I'm sick of it, but I can't be sick of it because it is (laughs) evolving and ever-changing by the minute. So for those of us who may not know you, Give us a little bit of background about how it is that this has been in your DNA for so long and why it is that you are here to simplify it and demystify it for so many of us, including executives. I I love that. Um, And you know what? For some reason, when you said that it's been in your DNA for so long, it brought me back to the fourth grade. So that's where I'm going to start today, (laughs) right? Because... So much of how we chart out our careers 
um, is as much about going backwards as it is about going forwards, right? And there was this moment in fourth grade when I remember the Apple computers showed up in the library, right? And I'm like probably dating myself, but this is like in the 80s. Um, and I was one of the first kids to get to experiment with making AI art, right? Like at the time you were just like coding pixels. And, you know, I think we went to the science fair and let me tell you, it was like the one and only time I ever went to the science fair. And what happened after that was such a product of the bias of our times, right? All of the boys got channeled into programming and technology careers. And I was the artistic one who was on the stage and in the theater. And, you know, I'll like fast forward to um, my year at taking chemistry, my junior year taking chemistry. And I was struggling, you know, it was really hard. I wasn't grasping the concepts. And I went in for extra help with a teacher. And he said, I think you should stick to dancing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Don't take AP physics, like stick to your dancing. And you know what? I listened and, you know, I, I went on to have a whole career um, in the performing arts and then in, um, you know, I kind of dovetailed my interest in the arts into architecture, which really was like bringing my math mind into the fold, right? So I've always been like a whole brain thinker. And we'll talk a lot about that in this podcast, because I think this is really what AI allows all of us to do is maximize the capacity of our whole brains. Um, but, you know, I had never thought I would have a career in technology, right? And this was, it just kept like sneaking in there. Um, so yes, like it was in my DNA from the very beginning, but it wasn't until I turned 50 that I really gave myself permission to release it. Mm. But first of all, like, thank you for sharing these tidbits of your story because I even didn't know that it was planted in the fourth grade and <laughs> that this through line for you, a lot of it, a lot of your through line is a lot about unconventional marriages, right? Like these two kind of seemingly diapec diametrically opposed forces, AI and creativity, architecture and education, just like everything that doesn't seem to fit, you have created a way for it not only to fit, but to make perfect sense. And so I really appreciate the way that your approach has defied a lot of those traditional boundaries. And what I wanted to kick this off with is how can we, as maybe traditional thinkers, traditional executives do this in a way that we are embracing it so that it doesn't feel so herky-jerky yeah. and as if it's part of our DNA too, because not to say that everybody needs to be in a bona fide expert like you, but also it's part of what is now the new norm. So it's not like you're going to be able to get by in, a, you know, another couple of months ago. Well, like, I really don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I look, I hear it all the time. And I will say that the best people and, and 
you know, I don't call myself an expert. I have literally been doing this for less than two years, right? So like this is new to all of us and even to people who have been engineers and programmers, right? Generative AI is a completely different animal. And it was designed, like literally if you go back to reading the early computer science textbooks on this, it was designed to mimic human creativity. So I think this is one of the misnomers. And I, I do hear, even with my students, a lot of frustration, right? Because they are expecting it to automatically deliver productivity. But it's actually not designed as an automation machine. We mm. are trying to figure out how to get it a little bit more under our control. But these are chaos machines, right? They have been trained on vast amounts of data. And the idea was, you know, kind of big headed, right? The idea that we could accumulate the compendium of human knowledge, really like take the encyclopedia of human intellect, build it into what was originally conceived of as an open source tool that would be available to everybody and level up humanity, right? Now we can talk about all of the reasons why that hasn't happened, is somewhat impractical, maybe, you know, off, off uh, target. But that's really, I think, what the ideas were behind the original genesis of this. So I think for those people who are looking to amplify their creativity, and what I've found is that, you know, a lot of people, especially when you get channeled into executive roles, are expected to be in control, right? Control is what we think of as executive superpower, mm. right? And when I ask executives, like, how many of you like to be in control? I get a unanimous show of hands. When I ask them how many people think their job expects them to be in control, right? Like, even more so. And I say, you know what? If you're going to start experimenting with AI, you've got to let go of 50% of the control, right? And I know you, Lauren, and like, this is, this is like, so deep, right? It's so deep and philosophical. And when you kind of begin to understand that, and you start playing with it, it really expands your mind, like beyond just the technology, right? It expands your mind to be able to accept chaos and to accept the unexpected, and then to be wickedly precise about those things that you can control, to own them, to take responsibility, right? To not okay. shirk from those things okay. that you know you can do. I'm with you and I'm not. <laughs> I'm with you because the truisms around everybody being new to this and you do not have to feign expertise and there should be an allowance for you to be able to ramp up and, and learn this and continuously learn this because this is going to be a deep, 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 deep body of, of understanding over decades, I'm sure. But the control thing, yeah. the control thing is where, like, how do people make peace with that when yeah. their jobs are on the line, when their leadership is being you know, reviewed under microscopes and maybe their ego is challenged by the fact that there's somebody who's three generations below them who 
knows this stuff like the back of their hand, even though they're not an expert either. How do those things reconcile or make peace with each other? So, you know, one of the things that I've really been focused on is this metric in AI, which is called temperature. And, you know, what it really is, is a dial that lets you turn up the chaos, the randomness, the serendipity, or turn it down towards more and more precision and automation. Right. And it's all these are statistical models. Right. So even though we're using natural language and it feels like we're talking to a knowing being. Right. We know we're talking to zeros and ones. And the way that they understand the world is through what's the next word in the sentence. Right. How have people spoken and what's the next most frequent word? that people are going to use. So I use this analogy. If I say, I love, what's the first thing that you say? You. Yeah. You is a low temperature answer, right? You is the most popular word that's used when people say, I love, but I could love New York. I could love Lucy, right? Those are a little bit higher on the temperature scale. Now, if I say I love my mother-in-law, that's probably like way off the charts in terms of unfreakness, right? But that's really the way these models work. We are basically taking a damper and opening it and closing it to siphon chaos and to gain more control. And the things that we have control over are the structure of our prompt, the words that we choose to use, the way that we curate the responses that come back to us, the way we engage in a conversation. And even little things like saying thank you, saying great job, you've got this. In fact, the smartest minds in computer science have figured out that AI is slower and less efficient in December. Okay? Makes no sense. And yet what they've surmised is that humans are slower in December. We tend to take more vacations, right? We're wrapping things up by the end of the year. So our processing engines slow down. And how has AI been trained? By learning human behaviors. So if we find it and, and you know, just try, try this out. Because if you are using ChatGPT, and I, I just did this with my students, and they're like, that is never going to work. It wasn't answering a question correctly. And we said, just remember, it's May. You're awesome. I know you can do this. Give it one more try. <laughs> it worked. Right? And those lessons, right? Those are human lessons. Mm. <laughs> right? You're having productivity issues? Like, remind yourself of what it feels like to be May. Right? Oh You're God. having issues with getting a coworker to get aligned with what you know needs to be accomplished? Give them a compliment. <laughs> Tell them great job. Give them feedback, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like AI, you know, for me, I, I call it, I teach AI with a human touch because the more I learn about machines, the more I learn about us as humans, right? And for me, it's just all about how do we become better as humans? That said, I have to ask you this. So we're better as humans, but we're also being reshaped as humans. Right? The reshaping of our landscape, of our lives, of our work, 
of our relationships. I mean, we didn't ask intimate questions to computers before. I mean, sure, maybe Google, but not like the way we're doing it now. So I want to find out, like, how do you see generative AI? Like, how do you see it reshaping the landscape for roles and responsibilities in the near future? And what is it that we should do to prepare? I mean, I'm going to say, and and when I say prepare, I'm going to say the Lori Mazur version of preparation, because I think we're all playing around with it and troubleshooting and trying to customize it and write prompts and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. Please do it, right? Play all you want. But I'm going to ask you for your kind of top two or three things that we should be doing that are the best usage and the best application for preparation. So I think first I'm going to recommend that you pick one or two tools to focus on and really learn. Like think of it like you're playing an instrument, right? Mm -hmm. So pick either the piano or the guitar. Like it doesn't matter which one. All right. Now I would say pick what is currently a best in class tool because you're going to waste a lot of time if you're working with older models. So best in class tools for large language models today are going to be ChatGPT, GPT-4 plus and Claude. And it is worth your $20 a month to pay for a subscription. Nothing in the world comes for free. Okay, Mm -hmm. so even things that are open source, like it's you're using electricity. So if you want to be a responsible grown up in this space, pay for your usage. Right. And then you'll also get a sense of, you know, not wasting your words and the electricity that goes into running these models. So I would pick a large language model and then I highly recommend that everybody not just people who think of themselves as artists, also find an image generator, right? Because the world is a visual world and learning how to use and communicate in visual language, I think Mm. is going to be a very important tool. So there are three foundational models, Midjourney, DALI, which is by OpenAI, and um, Stable Diffusion. Now, for anybody who's getting a ChatGPT subscription, you're going to get Dolly in the box, right? So it comes with it. So you, are, I would, you know, if you're just going to buy one thing, ChatGPT, and I'm not paid by any of these companies. So this is like my own recommendations. Um, but you get GPT-4 and you get Dolly. Now, if you're a more serious aesthetic person, Midjourney is going to be your best in class tool. Um, if you're really, really serious and you want to be on the developer side of things, Stable Diffusion is going to give you the most control. And anybody, any of the other products that you're seeing out there on the market, those that you know allow you to do headshots, um, mm. those are all built on top of Stable Diffusion. Okay, so really, there's not any, that many. There's thousands of applications out there, but they're all built off of these same foundational models, right? Now, that's the closest world. If you want to be in open source, that's like playing in a field 
um, you know, like in an open field, right? It's just a very different landscape. And I think for people who are starting out, I just wouldn't even worry about that. It's not mature enough. It's really developer focused right now. So yeah, it's pick one or two, limit yourself. Don't pay attention to all of the stuff that you see on social media, right? It's like, you don't need like 20 million prompt libraries, right? Like you, you don't need templates for everything. Like you really just need your brain and the tool, right? There are lots of places you can take classes. I'm one of many, right? You can, if you prefer to do them online, there's like lots of stuff. There's LinkedIn classes, like there's, there's a plethora, but like, if you know your learning style, figure out a learning style that works for you and like narrow the field. So are we just supposed to play in there? I mean, like, like, and how do we know we get, we're getting better? Well, so I know this is going to like trigger that like desire to be able to set goals and uh, evaluate and, you know, like set metrics. Um, And I'm going to say, you got to turn off for three months, turn off that part of your brain and judgment, right? Because yes, give yourself three months to play. And the reason I say that is because these tools are so universal. This is like Microsoft Word and Excel, right? Like they can do a lot of different things for a lot of different people. The use cases are infinite and they're gonna be different for every single person, right? So use it to fill in your gaps. Right? If you love writing, don't do it. Don't use it for writing, right? Use it for other things that you don't love. Like I love writing creative writing. Um, I hate summarizing things mm. with a passion. It's so boring to me. I'm like, why do I have to restate that? I already like, I already wrote that. I write to kind of figure out the world. So I, when I, as soon as I've figured out the world, I don't want to say it again, but I know readers need to read the summary, Right. So I'll like do a brain dump of my own ideas. I also like have trouble with structure sometimes. So I'll use it to help me impose a structure on myself, right? And like then fill in the gaps. I'll use it to summarize at the end, right? And then, you know, I'm like the whole time back and forth making sure that at the end of the day, it's my voice and whatever I put out are my choices, And I think this is the other thing that I would say is that, yeah, AI is here, but it's a choice. It's a choice just like watching television is a choice. It's a choice just like looking at your cell phone or using social media is a choice. Like you can make it or you cannot make it, right? And we are determining as a culture how this is going to get adopted in our society. So Like, it's not a done deal, right? We are in the shaping process, right? So I think it's important to participate in that and to say just as much what we value in human activity that we want to make sure that humans keep doing. And I think we see that playing out in union negotiations, right? We saw that playing out with the Screen Actors Guild. Yes, can you replicate an actor and simulate their voice and their their likeness? Absolutely. Should we be doing that? Maybe not, right? Maybe not for feature films, but maybe that's okay if you're like just making a video for YouTube, right? These are the kinds of questions we are asking ourselves and trying to answer. And I don't think it's a one size fits all. 
So I want you to have an opportunity to share, um, I guess, the Mazer mantra and also warning with respect to executives and how they could or could not be using AI as part of their job search, specifically cover letters, specifically resumes, specifically other things that may feel like they're going to break their arm patting themselves on the back, but could backfire for several reasons, ethics, um, things around just copying a copy is a copy is a copy. And so I really want to hear from you some do's and don'ts. Yeah, absolutely. So I would say, first of all, um, your cover letter is your opportunity to use your voice, right? Like to, to, for people to be able to see you. So that is probably the last place that I'm going to use AI, right? But I might use it to help me prepare for that moment, right? So let's like, let's go through the process. You know, you see a job. And you want to see how your resume lines up with the job description, right? You could very easily upload both of those documents to ChatGPT and say, like, give me the places where my skills and talents are aligned and give me the places where there seems to be a gap, right? Like, Use it as a way to help you go through your process. And remember, you're the boss. So, you know, do it in the way that feels natural to you, right? But that's that's one really useful tool. Um, another is you're now deciding how you're going to start putting that cover letter together, right? And I tell everybody to keep a journal, right? Mm. Keep a journal because... Knowing and learning your own voice is something that's really important. And some and it's a skill, like be, even before AI, it's a skill that not everybody has, right? And we have different voices for different kinds of environments, right? What's, so, in, your journal? What's in your journal? What do you, what is in your journal about your voice? I'm curious not to be nosy, but I'm curious about what gets captured. Well, you know what? I guess the best example of what gets captured is what comes out in my newsletters every week. Mm. Right? So the first, always the like first part of my newsletter is a story, right? It's always a story about like what I've been thinking about, what's been on my mind, maybe something that I read, you know, an emotion that I've had, um, an observation, right? Those are the parts that like AI can never replicate, right? Nobody is you with your five, six senses, <laughs> right? Experiencing the world, right? And and so I really try and like, and sometimes when I'm just stuck and I ask, ask students to do this as well, just sit, look in front of you and I call it sketching with words. Write down what you see, feel, hear, taste, touch, right? Because a lot of the way that we describe things to people is not just about how it looks in our eyes, right? 
what does it taste like? Right? Like I just had a chai latte, right? So I have that warm feeling in my mouth. The heater is going and I feel like a light breeze blowing on my feet. The sun is like slightly going down and I see a reflection with just like a sliver of orange and red, right? You want to bring people into your world, into your space, right? And give them some personal details because they're interviewing thousands of candidates, right? What's going to make you jump off the page? You, you are going to make you jump off the page. So yeah, I mean, I, I love to have people just write a journal. So if you're like, you know, if that's top of mind, like you're applying for that job, like wake up in the morning and just like jot down the things that come to mind, right? About, you know, maybe reflecting on your old job experiences, maybe reflecting on where you are in this moment and what your values are and what's important to you, maybe envisioning the future, right? And what would constitute success to you, right? And how does that get applied in your voice in AI? How do you extract what's in the journal and then bring it over to Yeah. So there are a couple of ways. I mean, one is that you could just keep your own voice and your own words, right? And not ask AI to like rewrite that. The other thing you can do is you can start to train it on your own voice, right? And so there are these new fancy little things called GPTs that you can build, right? Basically, they're just repositories of information, and some custom instructions so that every time you open a chat, you don't always have to start fresh. So if you're going through a job search process, I would make a little GPT, upload the job description, right? Upload any information that the recruiter has given to you, anything that you can find out, information about the company, right? Like facts about the company, um, people, right? Like the bios of the people who are going to be interviewing you, right? As much research as you can do. And then give it some samples of your writing style, right? Upload your resume and maybe like some cover letters that you've written for other jobs, right? That you think are like exemplary. And then you can start to give it some custom instructions, right? Like for me, I absolutely hate the word delve. I am not a delver. I've never delved into anything in my entire life. I either dive, right? (laughs) I either dive or I skim. I might research or explore. I never delve. I don't know. For some reason, ChatGPT loves delving. It delves into everything. And so I now read on like every time I see the word delve, I'm like, oh, that was written by ChatGPT. Right? So I put in my custom instructions, like, don't use the word delve, right? If you feel inclined to use the word delve, use dive or skim or blah, 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 right? So I can like, you can keep, keep that journal, it. right? Keep, keep the that journal. journal. Keep Absolutely. the journal. And use your own voice for your cover letters. I mean, of course. Yeah. I mean, it, it kind of goes without saying, but you'd be shocked and surprised. I'm, I'm maybe not you, but how many people just have the same rhetoric, the same verbiage, over and over and over again? That I can promise you will put people to sleep and probably yeah. land your candidacy in a in a in a very round file. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing is, it's just a critic and. 
feel free to tell it it's wrong. Um, I, you know, I uploaded a piece of my writing and it gave me all this feedback that just made it like so boring and generic. And I was like, let me tell you something. <laughs> That's really boring. No one's going to read that. Right. These are the reasons why. And then it came back. I was like, you're absolutely right. But you wrote is so much better. Right. Mm. So, so you yeah, say you don't have to listen to all the advice you get. <laughs> I like the way that you kick this off by saying it's a chaos machine and we are we are in in some on some level there to tame it. Is that is that true? Yeah, yeah. That's absolutely right. Yeah, I mean you'll see um a lot of people use the word harness, right? Mm. I think of like wild horses. Um and so yeah, I mean that really is what it is. Now there are times that you want to expose yourself to more chaos. And I, I think we highly undervalue that experience, right? And if you look at where we're going in the future, we are learning so much about chaos, right? At a like physical material level, right? Like properties of the universe are built on chaos and chaos also has order. Right. So, you know, I think we're going to start if there's going to be like a big epiphany that comes in this next century, it's really going to be about our understanding of chaos and the fact that chaos actually is quite ordered when you when you zoom far enough out. Um, the world is also not binary. Right. And AI, generative AI is not binary. Now, when we use the words AI, and I probably should have said this earlier, there's really two kinds of AI. There's discriminative AI, which is zeros and ones. That's predictive analytics. That's like Netflix, right? Mm -hmm. Like you watch When Harry Met Sally, and it's going to tell you that you're going to like Sleepless in Seattle, right? And it's going to tell you that you're not going to like a horror movie if you've only been watching rom-coms, <laughs> right. right? But generative AI has all those movies in its inventory and it's going to make up a new movie called when Harry met Bleepless. Seattle. <laughs> met Seattle. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it's like, it's just got a totally different operating system, right? It's a non-binary operating system. It's a network system. It has the ability to like move from one thing to the other in a facile way. Um, there are, are still major untapped applications for discriminative AI. And I think what we're seeing right now is that now that AI has gotten so much play, companies are going to be playing catch up on mm -hmm. you know, machine learning, just traditional machine learning and computer vision and, you know, technology that's been around for over a decade, right? That, you know, they just didn't have the resources or the wherewithal to know that we should be applying it, right? And we're still a little, as much as we want to make generative AI work at an enterprise level, we're like in the baby stages. Right, so I'm gonna offer that up to all of us newbies to say, just keep playing, right? Don't worry about winning the game or like needing to score points or anything like that. It's a brand new, brand new baby out of the womb. So allow yeah. yourself some permission here. Yeah. I wanted to um, ask you 
to share a little bit about your book and mm-hmm. about the courses because yeah. I'm going to be taking one with you very soon. And I'm really yeah. excited about that because I'm just as new as everyone else. But I also, I mean, you wrote the book, Temperature. I mean, I don't know if you turned it around in like a month or so. It seemed like it just hit at the right time. And tell us exactly what, how it is that you were able to not just create this book, but capitalize on so much of what is going on and bring it to such a human level. Yeah. Um, I love, I love telling the story because, you know, nothing happens in a linear fashion, right? So, you know, that when we met probably 18 months ago, I told you I wanted to write a book. Yes, you did. And I was writing a book. I had written like 20,000 words on a book that I was calling at the time Radical Sabbatical, like only to find out that there are like five other books with the same title. Um, and I just decided that, you know, I knew I wanted to write and I knew I wanted to establish my voice in the public sphere. I knew I had things to say to the world, right? And I had been working within academic institutions for 25 years. And, you know, in those roles had had very political positions where I was speaking on behalf of the institution. You know, when you would like read a news article and it would say university spokesperson says like, you know, sometimes that was me. Um, Sometimes I had a name or sometimes I was ghostwriting for, you know, the president or a senior administrator. So I'd been in this public sphere talking a lot, but never as me. So I decided that that was important to me. So I think in like the summer of 2022, I just started writing. I started writing on LinkedIn. I started like playing around with Midjourney, right? A publisher found me and said, like, you have all the criteria for, you know, people that we want to have write books, right? Like you're writing often, right? I like checked all the writer writer boxes, <laughs> right? And I said, well, if this person has found me, like, let me do a little bit of research because I haven't really like given this much thought. And I decided that they weren't the right person for me for a number of different reasons. Great publisher, but it just wasn't the right pathway for me. Um, and I decided to enroll in the Creator Institute. And there were a lot of other chief members who had been going this route, right? And it was a structured program and you had to put down a deposit. And what I liked about it was that at the end of the day, you owned the rights to your own book, right? Because I'd been doing the research and I knew that if I were to go with a publisher, I was going to, you know, get like a fraction, like if anything on royalties, like forget it. Maybe they would give me a small advance, but I just wanted to own my own work. So I started on that program and the first meeting I had with Eric, he said, what do you want your book to do for you? Right? And I said, well, I want my book to like help build my business. And he's like, well, what's your business? And at the time, my business was helping colleges and universities envision the future. And I was like, you know, researching the metaverse. I'd just taken a class at Wharton and I was like, you know, the world is, is going to move in a virtual way. Let me write about this hybrid state. So again, I started writing and I wrote another 20,000 words on this topic, right? So now we are at June of 2023, Now at this point, my entire world had changed, right? Like six months earlier, I had launched my AI business. I was teaching. um, I was like, you know, this was like full swing 
And I'm like, I, I, I remember I spoke at a conference in Chicago on my old book topic. And I looked out into the audience, which was like 100 people. And I'm like, I can never speak on this again. It was just like one of those moments, right? When I was like, I think this is the end of that. I'm done. I'm done. Like that topic is done. I, it's not hitting. I'm not. It's just like the moment has passed. But I had 10 years before that been doing some research in game theory at NYU. And I had written a whole like theory about creativity. My experience with working with architects when I was in a management position was that people fall on a very wide spectrum of creativity. Some like to follow the rules and some like to break the rules, right? And figuring out how to manage all of those people and like maximize their potential um, was really challenging. And so I was like trying to figure out a system. And so I, I ended up coming up with a rule system of basically I called it like a creative taxonomy. It was five rule systems, recipes, improvisations, negotiations, prohibitions, and chances. Right. And I wrote this thesis and then I sat on it. Right. Because that wasn't going to earn me a living. Like I needed to build my company. So when I decided I was no longer writing the book about universities, I was like, oh my God, I'm writing a book about creativity. And now it all makes sense because that system of rules that I was talking about, like those are algorithms and that's temperature. <laughs> like that's the spectrum. And that's mm. what I've been doing with AI. And that's how creative machines work. And so I'm, this is what I'm going to write about. I'm going to write about it. And I remember telling a friend of mine, she's like, temperature, like that's the name of the book. And I'm like, yes, it is. Um, and so, yeah, I literally sat down and wrote that book in nine weeks. Now, the writing process is not over and it needs a like ton of editing. Um, but I, that's my book and it will come out in March and it's in pre-sales now. And that also like is a bit of accountability, right? Because when you tell people you've got a book, like you demo up, <laughs> better show up and deliver it. Um, this, this episode will be coming out for sure in January. And I will also make sure that we have the link to the pre-sale. Yeah. But what I really wanted to just applaud you for, like literally and figuratively, is that you never stop. You were writing and you were writing and you took things from the past and you pulled things from the future and you pulled it together. And I think that that's in many, many ways a big metaphor for this particular episode. You can borrow from the past and you can also rob from the future. That's okay. You know, those are good things, good things to be able to, to combine and to celebrate. And I want to just applaud you for not, for not just bailing. You knew you had a book in you and you knew, you know, maybe it was going to be this, it was going to be this, but you kept yourself very agile. And that yeah. whole idea of experimentation is something yeah. that you clearly exemplified and have demonstrated for us. So what we're going to do is we're just going to move very quickly over to our three signature questions. I will include in the show notes the way for people to register for your upcoming classes and your courses and all that good stuff. 
the three questions I wanted to ask you to weigh in on is first, for all of us who are maybe challenged or nervous or excited about AI, is there a post-it that you would recommend that we plant on something nearby to keep us level-headed without without crying or with frustration or without thinking that there isn't more in the can? Yeah. Um, I would put two post-its up. One is awesome and awful. All right. And hold both of those simultaneously, right? We are not good at living with cognitive dissonance. Our brains like to try and create a state of equilibrium for ourselves, but learning to live with that discomfort that what is going to come with AI is going to both be awesome and awful, mm. right? So, you know, try not, we, we feel negative things four times more than we feel positive things, right? Mm-hmm. So every time you feel the bad thing, think about four things to counterbalance it. Smart, smart. Aside from temperature, is there something else that we should be reading, skimming, scanning? Where's our go-to trusted resource when it comes to learning this stuff? Yeah. Um, So my go-to trusted resource is Sharon Goldman, real world journalist at VentureBeat, right? Sharon, number one, will also share that she is exhausted. Okay, so when, right, like when the leading AI journalist says she's tired, like we all can like rest assured. <laughs> yeah, we all need a break. Um, but Sharon writes really well-considered, balanced articles. She gets around the AI landscape is wide and vast, um, and I particularly appreciate that she pays attention to women the BIPOC community, the LGBT community, right? She's writing the whole story. Um, and she also has a sub stack that you can follow if you like really love her articles and want to follow her more. But she's my go-to. I read her every single article she writes. And that's it. I don't read anybody else's news. Wow. Okay. That is definitely trusted because I trust you. And if you're only going to one place, that's good. That's helpful. And your walk-up song. So it could be, it could be like something that doesn't need to be to mimic AI or anything like that, your walk-up song. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, Sarah Barry Ellis Brave is my go-to song, right? I love her. I love her entire career. I love, um, you know, I'm a big Broadway junkie. Um, I love Waitress. And I just think that song is like something we could all wake up to every morning and remind ourselves of. Mm. Lori Mazer. Thank you so much for coming on and thank you listeners for taking it all in. I'm sure you took a bunch of notes. If not, go back and re-listen so that you can like jot these things down because you'll be able to repurpose them many, many, many times, especially with so much Advent and AI going on. If you like this episode or any of the other episodes, please leave us an Apple podcast review. That is how we get this thing going and shaking and moving. And we're really excited about it. It's been a great, great, great year um, in 2023 and so much more in 2024. Lori Mazur, thank you again. You guys don't forget the show notes down below and make sure that you connect with Lori on LinkedIn. Thanks a million. Thank you for joining today. We appreciate your listening ears. Big time. We ask this. Use these tools. Not tomorrow. Right now. 
and share them by spreading the love. Leaving us a rating and subscribe so you don't miss the next career blast in a half. Most of all, thank you for you.